Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Drive for Show DFS for Doe here on Roto Grinders. Happy to be bringing you another edition of Golf Talk as we continue through the fall swing and what should be a really uh, fun tournament this week. Probably the best tournament that we've had certainly so far of the fall swing. So excited to be talking about that with you. Uh, another no cut limited field event this week. So uh, we'll see how long it takes us to get through it, but at least half hour or so, 45 minutes going through the golf tournament for this week. I am Justin Van Zuden, AKA STL Cardinals 84. I've got my usual co-host, Mr. Derek Farnsworth alongside me. And I know we talked about Keegan Bradley on the show last week and we both liked him, but no, no, I need to know, did you still play some Ricky Fowler? Although I know you're more single entry this time of year, so I presume he probably didn't make a single entry build. Yeah, no Ricky for me. Uh, I did play him in Vegas because I built 100 lineups that week. I only built one last week. Did have a Keegan Bradley outright, though. And, uh, yeah, watching nice. that, uh, the ending of that felt like uh, 2012 again. <laughs> I mean, talk about guys that – I haven't been relevant for uh, quite some time. I mean, Keegan's been fine. You know, he's been around, but uh, he hasn't won since that playoff event. And Ricky, I think it's been Phoenix since the last time he won. So kind of felt like nobody wanted to win there at the end. You know, everyone had some serious nerves in that final group. But yeah, Keegan ended up making the birdie, and then that was all it. Yeah, Keegan gets the victory. Uh, four rounds there under uh, 70. Uh, got that little bonus if you played on DraftKings last week and, you know, probably um, 
you know, impressive for him to 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 keep that rolling, make enough putts uh, to win the tournament, and good for Ricky as well. We'll see, you know, if the the fact that he couldn't pull it out at the end is a is an issue going forward, a confidence issue, but it it should give him a little bit of a boost. Certainly, the best he's looked in a couple of years uh, with that uh, tied uh, second finish there with Andrew Putnam. Uh, so even though I've you know made my share of jokes about Fowler on this show, uh, nice to see him playing well. Certainly not rooting against the guy by any means, and uh, him and Keegan dueling it out and, and putting him in the mix there as well. And Emiliano Grillo made another big run in the final round on Sunday, shot a 64 to get to 13 under par uh, himself, and uh, he's been playing really consistent golf now for about six months. So another guy that uh, that was in the mix there. Uh, and we talked about kind of the cheap punts, uh, and I mentioned at the end of last week's show, if you wanted to go anywhere, Nakajima was probably the one Japanese guy that I would look at as a min kind of min-price punt. He finished tied for 12th, so uh, we hit on a lot of stuff on the show last week, and uh, part of the problem was trying to avoid the landmines. A lot of the, the kind of more popular names uh, had underwhelming weeks. Obviously, it was a no-cut event. There were only 78 golfers, but Morikawa, uh, Mito Pereira, both tied for 45th. Cameron Young, 53rd. Tommy Fleetwood, 53rd. Uh, Matsuyama didn't have a very good week. Uh, you go down, you know, keep on going down towards the bottom. Uh, Davis Riley finished near the bottom. So uh, if you had one of those landmines, it was probably tough for you to win a GPP. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's part of what makes the DFS golf game a little frustrating and, and, and kind of fun as well. So. Uh, what were some of your other takeaways from uh, from that event as a whole? Yeah, I mean, uh, I love watching golf in prime time. Love the course over there. Uh, the only thing that I hate is not having shot tracker. It just it's such a different sweat experience. So hopefully they can figure that out if they keep going there year in and year out. But uh, yeah, overall, I thought it was a good event. Uh, the leaderboard wasn't stacked with names that uh, I might have thought would have been up there. But like you mentioned, just a lot of. Uh, a chalk that busted, you know, Mito, I think he was minus three after day one and then just fell apart. Uh, Trell Hatton was one of my favorite tournament plays. He had an eight on the par four on day one. So he was kind of done for. Um, and yeah, just, uh, just one of those events where if you don't get off to a good start, it's kind of hard to, hard to, for your guys to rally, um, even though there's four rounds. Yeah. Uh, with scores getting kind of condensed, you know, if, if you get off to that bad start, uh, it, it's just tough in, uh, you know, you, you don't have those six out of six to rely on where, oh, maybe I can make up some ground because other people don't have everybody making it through the cut. Uh, part of the issue with that is, uh, you know, when there is no cut, then it's just hard to make up those fantasy points as well. Uh, not really much else for takeaways. I mean, again, it was a no cut event. We kind of mentioned, uh, the names that, uh, that flopped there, um, Mentioned some of the guys that, you know, we're good to see at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, Victor Hovland, Thigala, Shoffley finished inside the top 10 as well. So those were some of the other high-end names that uh, maybe did live up to expectations last week. But uh, this week we've got another similar type of event. So no cut, limited field, 78 golfers uh, with the CJ Cup. Now this is another tournament that in its infancy, in the first few years, it was played over as part of that Asian swing, but they have moved this one to the to the U.S. Uh, since COVID hit, and uh, this year they're going back to Congaree 
which the the course may be familiar, but it hosted a kind of one-off Palmetto Championship a couple years back. Uh, it was a, a course that I know Noto and I both really liked. Uh, very interesting course dynamic in that it's a course that doesn't have a lot of rough. Um, it does have accessible, you know, birdie holes, but yet there's a lot of waste bunkers. There's a lot of water hazards. And it's a course where you could see a par five where somebody could easily make a three. Somebody could easily make an eight. And there's just a lot of holes like that where good scores are rewarded, but there's so much trouble, even though there's not a lot of rough. It's just, it's really interesting, the dynamic of the way this course plays. And I think when I read yesterday, it was, I think, the second toughest non-major course in, you know, two years ago when it was played. But yet there are plenty of birdies available. So really, really interesting risk-reward kind of course. Uh, Then you also take in the fact that it's a no-cut event. I think you're going to see a lot of people, I put this in our premium content this week, I think you're going to see a lot of golfers outscore their finishing position in terms of, okay, maybe he has a lot of birdies and a lot of bogeys and he finishes 40th, uh, but yet he's top 20 in fantasy scoring. That could easily happen this week on a course like this. I just thought it was a whole lot of fun when they played here a couple years ago and really interested to see how it plays again Last time it was here, it was the week before the U.S. Open, and the field was terrible. Now we've got our strongest field of the fall swing on this fun course that we saw a couple years ago. What are your thoughts on the setup that we've got this week? Yeah, I love the way you broke that down. Uh, And to your point, you know, there's a lot of volatility in the hole-by-hole scoring. So I think we're going to see a huge discrepancy between the winning score and dead last, (laughs) something like, you know, 40 strokes maybe. Uh, maybe that's a little too high, but uh, I could see somebody shooting plus 15 and minus 15. So maybe we get like a 30 stroke. I was going to say, I'll take the under on 40. That might be a little <laughs> aggressive, but hey, you get one guy that goes out there and shoots a, you know, a 25 over, I guess it could happen. Um, and so, yeah, the course extremely long. They wanted to play firm and fast. So they kind of styled it after the Australian sand belt where you mentioned it, basically no rough. It's either fairway, uh, water hazard, or the sandy waste areas. So, yeah, driving the ball is going to be important, both from a length perspective and uh, just giving yourself shorter irons into these holes. You're going to see a lot of mid to long irons. Um, I think I was looking at the the approach shot numbers from last year, and 150 to 175 was above tour average. 175 to 200 was above. 200 plus was above. So you're going to see a lot of mid to long irons in the into these holes. Obviously, that's going to depend on how far guys are driving the ball, but I'm placing a big emphasis on driving. I think driving distance is going to come into play. doesn't mean the shorter hitters can't contend. Um, I do think short game matters as well. The greens are perched up a little bit, so that creates some tricky, you know, around the green chip shots. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all from me. Um, guys that are long off the tee, good with the long irons, make a lot of birdies, and uh, Bermuda putting, probably another thing I would look at. Yeah, I'm fine with the bomber angle this week as well, given the course setup and the you know the lack of rough. Uh, you got guys that can get it out there. Uh, it can be an advantage on on this course, and you know guys who are obviously not completely wayward because then you'll find yourself in some hazards. But um, you know, good total drivers uh, certainly going to have an advantage here. We've got a par a par 71, uh, the par. Par fives in terms of length are 595, uh, 645, and 580. Um, and based on the way that 645-yard hole plays, it could be reachable for the longer hitters, uh, particularly if it's downwind. But you also have, you know, a, a 
520 yard par four and a 540 yard par four. And uh, that those are just the, the longer ones on the front nine. And then on the back nine, you've got a 490. And then you've also got a couple of short par fours as well that can maybe be drivable if they play the tees up a day or two. So it, it all adds up to where it could be an advantage for the longer hitters coming in with maybe wedges or, sh- or shorter irons on, you know, those longer par fours uh, could be an advantage if they're obviously if they're, if they're keeping it in the fairway. So really, really fun course. If you didn't check out the event a couple years ago, um, you know, it, be sure to, to at least watch some of this. I, I think you'll be impressed with the way the course plays. Uh, maybe not as impressed if your guy's hitting a couple balls in the water and, and making a nine on a par five, but uh, it, just a lot of volatility in, in this tournament. And I think, you know, you could see some pretty big swings in the scoring guys that shoot really poor rounds followed by really good rounds or vice versa uh, to where maybe this is the week that you can make up some fantasy points uh, if you, if you fall behind early. So other thoughts on the event itself, the field, I mean, a lot stronger field than, uh, than what we're used to seeing in the fall for sure. Yeah, great field. Can't wait to see a lot of these guys tee it up. Uh, when they did play here last year, it got glowing reviews from pretty much the whole field. So I think a lot of the big names are going to like the course. My only note is that um, we only have one year of data to work with when it comes to the course, and it was played in a different time of year. Uh, I think it was played in the spring or you know early summer last year. So that could make a little bit of a difference. I do think there's been a little bit of rain uh, in the area, so it might not be as firm and fast as when we saw it the first time, which to me just says, you know, more of the bomber angle. For sure. Totally agree with that. Um, we've uh, we've surpassed the first hurdle of my mic potentially muting, but do I still sound okay? Still sound good. All right. We've passed one. We're going to try to see if we can make it through a show without uh, the auto mute kicking in. I'm using a different browser to access our show platform. So uh, we'll uh, fingers crossed one down, a couple more maybe to go. Uh, And again, fun field, fun tournament, fun course, put in some lineups this week. I know there's a lot of sports going on. I know Noto's excited. The basketball's back. I'm excited. We got hockey going on. We got football going on. There's lots of stuff going on. But if you're going to play one golf tournament during the fall swing, this is definitely one where maybe you want to throw some lineups in when you see the course and when you see the field. And we've got uh, – and it's pretty easy to make lineups this week too. I, kind of with the stronger field, uh, you've got some more accessible options in the in the cheaper price ranges. So, uh, again, though, it's limited. We've only got 78 golfers. So uh, we've got four of them above 10K, which, again, a little bit looser pricing than uh, than what we sometimes see. But we've got McElroy, Rahm, Scheffler, and Thomas as our 10K-plus options on DraftKings this week. Uh, who are you looking to start your lineups with? Yeah, similar to last week, I don't think there's a lot of uh, holes in any of these golfers. I think Rory's going to be my favorite. does look like he's going to be the most popular. Five straight top eight finishes. He's a guy that uh, does everything well. Um, his short games really come around the last year or two, especially the putter. And it just seems like everything's kind of clicking for him. Uh, he has also been very good in no-cut events. He's also been very good on – Tom Fazio designs. So he would be my favorite. No issue with Rom coming off the win. Talk about drivers of the ball. He's one of the best on tour, similar to Rory. Uh, I think they're, you know, deserve to be in a class of their own before the next two guys. Um, Scheffler's just been struggling with the putter. We saw him kind of fall apart at the tour championship, the final round. Then we saw him struggle 
at the President's Cup as well. Uh, he was one of the only Americans without a point, I believe. And then JT, I'm okay with JT, but I do think it makes a little bit more sense to get up to Rory and Ron myself. Totally in agreement on that, uh, kind of the way you broke down that range. Like Scheffler, until we start seeing something, uh, I think I just got to be out on him for now. You know, wait and, and see if he can rediscover the magic, particularly with the putter, uh, before we, we hop back to Scheffler. So I'm out on him as well. Tough to ignore Rory just with the way he's been playing. Uh, I think one event on American soil since April without a top 25, like this is just ridiculous. And you go to a tournament uh, where we think driving is going to be important. We know he hits it a long way off the tee. Uh, Just tough to look to anyone else, I think, as the number one overall golfer in the field. Uh, so I would prioritize him significantly over the rest. Uh, I'd probably put Rahm and Thomas next, and then I am out on Scheffler for now. So we're pretty much in agreement on that top tier. Uh, the next tier, this could be the tier that makes or breaks lineups this week. So we've got six golfers in the 9Ks. Fitzpatrick, M, Burns, Hovland, Homa, Morikawa. And none of those guys over 20% in terms of our projected ownership right now. All of them in the teens. Um, you know, no lower than 10, no higher than 18, 19 on these 9K options. You're going to see ownership spread out a little bit here. Uh, who are a couple of your favorites in that range? That's kind of a weird week where I'm going to be uh, diversifying a little bit between my outright bets and my DFS lineups because I do want to start with Rory and Rahm and DFS. Don't love their numbers for outrights. I peppered this 9K range uh, with my bets. I think I bet on four or five of them uh, to win. So that's kind of how I'm uh, – Looking to attack it. Not going to have a ton of exposure to the range of DFS. Uh, if you do want to check out scores and odds, all my picks are posted there for, for outrights. But my favorite of the bunch is going to be Fitzpatrick. Coming off of a miscut last week at the Andalusia Masters over in Europe. Uh, I think it was only by one or two strokes. Other than that, I mean, he's been in tremendous form. He's been playing a lot in the fall, which I like. He's one of the few guys above you know 8K that's actually played this event or this course. Uh, he finished 10th last year. And uh, he's added some major distance off the tee. He's actually top 15 in this field in distance. We know the short game's good. So I really like Sungjae – or, sorry, Fitzpatrick. Um, as far as, like, Sungjae, Tom K, Morikawa, they all just seem to play better on shorter courses, and that could be a mistake, but I'm probably going to be off of them. Uh, I do like Hovland and Burns as tournament plays um, and Homa as well. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm probably going to be hitting the, the very top and then dipping down a little bit. Yeah, what do we make of Tom Kim? Obviously, he was big for a uh, hot start to the fall swing, and you know everyone's touting him up as kind of the next big thing, and maybe he's already there. But uh, what do we do with him on kind of a course like this where he's finally maybe in the process of cooling off a little bit? Yeah, we faded him last week. He didn't hurt or you know kill us either way. Uh, finished T25. I think I'm going to fade him again. Just looking at his distance, he's like bottom – six in this field of guys that have stats so it's a ton of fairways does gain strokes off the tee just thanks to his accuracy but uh yeah for me if i'm targeting the bomber angle i'll just go all in on it and target the guys above him a little bit with you on that um fitzpatrick definitely my favorite in here at 9800 um for the reasons you mentioned i mean his career kind of trajectory just totally changed after 
Uh, he got that added distance, and I mean, he he maybe feels overpriced for those of you who don't don't follow golf as close, but uh, deserves that uh, that ninety eight hundred dollar price tag for sure. Uh, Burns, I think in GPPs is fine. Um, Morikawa, I think in GPPs is fine. I don't love any of these guys, which is why I'll be starting a lot of my lineups with Rory. Um, but Fitzpatrick would be my first choice in here, particularly if he stays at the ownership where we have him right now. Um, any worries about like somebody like Hovland? I don't know. I, Hovland worries me if he gets like short sighted on one of his green, one of these greens, and makes like takes four chips to get up on the green and into the hole. Yeah, so Hovland's interesting because one of the better ball strikers, and the average uh, GIR here in last year was sixty nine percent, so pretty high. So if you think he's going to be you know ten percent above the field in terms of GIR, then he's not going to have to chip a whole lot. He's obviously a good driver of the ball. Um, he's coming in in some pretty good form, a couple of top fives in his last three starts. So I do like Hovland. Um, the ownership isn't as low as I was hoping. But, yeah, I think he's uh, certainly interesting. And one other note I wanted to make is you can start lineups with, you know, Rory and then and one of these guys in the 9Ks. I was messing around with a Rory Fitz lineup today. It's not that hard because uh, the 6K is a lot better than it was last week just given the strength of the field. Totally agree. Yeah, it, it's just the uh, the six K options last week were iffy, though the couple that we did give out played pretty well. Uh, it just it didn't feel as comfortable as it does this week, and, and you can do those stars and scrubs builds a little bit easier this week. You mentioned Scheffler struggling uh, at the Presidents Cup. Well, the guy who didn't struggle was Spieth at the Presidents Cup. He is at eighty eight hundred. Matsuyama's at 8,700 and coming off an underwhelming week in his home country. Um, you know, Hatton, you liked last week. We'll be interested to see how he bounces back. Keegan coming off the win and the travel. Uh, Cameron Young, I think, is a really interesting risk-reward play as we kind of get into these 8Ks. Lots to talk about in here. I really like Young because we know he hits it a long way. We know he's aggressive. This is the type of guy that I think Young might finish 30th but be 10th in fantasy points. Or if he's totally dialed in, I mean, he could win the thing. So I I don't, I haven't in the past played Cameron Young a lot, but I think this is one week where I am willing to buy in on him at 8,600. How are you handling kind of some of these other mid to upper 8K players? Yeah, we're on the same page this week, my friend. Uh, love Cam Young in all formats. Uh, I did bet him as well mentioned the driving. I mean, he's top three in this field in strokes gained off the tee and in driving distance. And I was looking at some of his uh, approach numbers. So he's not great with his wedges, but he is good with his mid to long irons. So uh, I think this is a perfect course fit for him. He's a good putter, especially on Bermuda. So yeah, I uh, love Cam Young this week. Don't know what to do with speed. I mean, we've seen guys that play well in these team events go on some serious runs. Um, the Ryder Cup last year for Scotty Scheffler kind of set him off for a career year. This year, um, I don't know. I mean, I want to bet speed at the Masters, uh, so I gotta. I hope he doesn't win before you know I, I'm able to get a big future on him uh, at the Masters because he's 22 to one in some places. There, I think he's got a better chance of winning that than he does this event. But uh, still, it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, kind of carry some of that momentum into this week. So if you want to play him in tournaments, certainly don't mind it. Uh, I will be going back to Hatton. I mentioned the the no-cut success that he's had. Didn't work last week, but a lot of that was due to a, a quad and a triple. Um, and he was second here in 2021. So one of the few guys with course history. 
And then at the very bottom of the range, I'll always play some Corey Connors, just a guy that you can rely on for a pretty good finish given his ball striking. Like Connors as well. And I think another kind of factor to note is if you are into, especially in your tournament builds, if you're into being super contrarian, like this is a week where you can maybe make that work because obviously it's difficult to tell who it's going to be, but there's going to be a really good golfer that has just a couple blow up holes like Hatton did last week, makes a couple of eights and you know, you're eight over par in two holes at some varying point because you hit four balls in the water. You know, you had two balls in the water in one hole and two in the water on another hole is going to happen to somebody. Uh, figuring out who that is going to be is obviously the, the key, but uh, this is also a tournament that maybe lends itself to just a little bit of unpredictability simply because of the, the layout of the course and, a bad bounce into the water or into one of those, you know, sandy waste areas uh, where you maybe get a bad lie. Just going to happen. Um, and I tell you that that's probably what worries me the most with Hatton, because I feel like he could get completely pissed off at the court at the course, uh, even though everybody loves it. Like Hatton gets one bad bounce and all of a sudden he checks out for the week and says he hates the place. I don't know. That's a little bit of conjecture, but, but at least he played here before. What's that? But at least he's played here before. No, did he play in that event? Yeah, finished second. Oh well, then the even more reason for him to hate it this time when he gets a bad <laughs> bounce and he's in you know fiftieth place. I didn't, yeah. I didn't catch that. I was looking. He doesn't at like many early. courses, so uh, maybe this is one that he does. Fair enough. It, roll the dice uh, with Hatton. <laughs> I certainly think he's fine in, in tournaments. Um, you know, Keegan coming off the win, a spot where nobody's going to play him. Uh, you mentioned Connors again. Tough to ignore him. Uh, at the lower end of that range, and his ownership is a little more in check these days because we haven't quite seen the the glitzy form that maybe we saw a year ago. I like Lowry a good bit. I uh, see he grades out well in the projections too. I was kind of hoping he wouldn't be as popular, uh, but Lowry likes these kind of courses where he can be a little creative and, and kind of think his way through the course. Uh, this is a spot where I think the course setup could suit him nicely. So I, I don't mind Lowry. Uh, all in all, pretty interesting range and and not too much of a dip from those 9K options. So I will mix and match in here a little bit more. Anything else on the 8Ks for you? Yeah, the model does love Lowry. It also loves Russell Henley, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, two guys that I wasn't planning on playing a lot of, but I might just have to you know blindly trust it rather than my gut. And then uh, Taylor Montgomery's back in the field. Um, I'm not going to be playing him, but excited to see him. Uh, in in his toughest field to date. And then Sahit Tagala, I think he's a very interesting like showdown play. I never seem to get him right on the full slates, but I mean, we saw it last week in Japan. He almost had a 59 um, over there. He's been playing a lot better. So uh, I think he could be an interesting large field tournament play or showdown play. Yeah, I like that call as well. Um, you know, he tends to be a little bit streaky and hopefully maybe last week was the start of another little upswing for him. No issues playing Tigala Montgomery in tournaments uh, at modest ownership and really not going to see a whole lot of chalk um, in that range. Young doesn't surprise me. He's going to be somewhat popular, but uh, we're not going to deal with a whole bunch of chalk in the next few ranges, except as we get into the 7Ks, maybe Aaron Wise at 7,800, maybe Mito, uh, but it does kind of spread out. Lots of options in here as well. Were you looking at in kind of the mid to upper seven case? Yeah, not as much that stands out to me here as some of the other ranges. I do like Aaron Wise, but he's going to be very popular. I kind of put him in the good chalk category, just given 
his ball striking, his numbers off the tee, um, his Bermuda putting. He's not a great putter, but he actually is a positive putter on Bermuda and uh, doesn't make a lot of bogeys. Top five in this field over the last four months, top 10 over the last 12 months in bogey avoidance. So I think he's certainly interesting at 7,800. He's also the first guy out on Thursday. So if you want to sprinkle a little first round leader on him, I don't mind that one bit. Everyone else, uh, I don't have a strong take. The model doesn't mind Fleetwood and Mito, but they both kind of let me down last week. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you have uh, Do you have anybody else? Not a great range for me. Yeah, it's not. Um, you know, I, I will mix and match here, though, because I do think some of these guys have upside. Uh, Cam Davis at 7,500. I think intriguing ceiling there. He can be a birdie maker. He's a guy that often outscores his finishing position in terms of, you know, when especially when he's priced pretty cheap. So I like him at 7,500. I like Wise as well. Um, and I'll go back to me. Got some uh, some robot action there from. Yep, little extra robot this time. <laughs> little robot action. So uh, I'll just continue talking until we get Jeff. <laughs> Got more robot. All right. It's bad, Justin. You might want to jump out and jump back in. <laughs> yeah, Candace Reynolds uh, in the chat. Uh, WTF? Laugh out loud. Yeah, that's. Uh... I wasn't sure what was happening either. Um, but anyway, in that mid-7K range, what about Jason Day? So we talked about the guys last week that have had career resurgences in uh, Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley, Jason Day. The last time we saw him was in Vegas. Ended up finishing in the top 10. And uh, maybe he's uh, got it going a little bit. He's always been better on courses where you can spray it or you can hit a lot of drivers. So, Justin, are you back? I'll talk really quietly in case it's bad. How are we sounding? It's good. It, it it wasn't like your voice being a robot. It was just a loud eh, sound. Yeah, so. so when it does the auto mute, it uh, apparently the browser didn't uh, you know didn't didn't catch it. But uh, I, I'm hoping that switching back from one browser to the other when that happens will eliminate the uh, <laughs> robo mic. But Hey, it only happens once an hour, so we're, we should be good for the rest of the show as long as I'm not burning anybody's ears off. Well, you were about to give your Jason Day take, so that's why I went. That's why I went. Oh, that's there. why it went out. No, nobody needed to hear that, so I'm glad they didn't. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'd probably not play in Day, but like Day or Fowler. Well, so I was reading. There's like eight guys in the field that played in Vegas and then flew to Japan and then now are flying back to South Carolina. Uh, Ricky's one of them. That does worry me a little bit. I mean, that's a ton of travel. And uh, I think it was a 13 hour time difference the one way and then 16 hours back this way. So uh, I think that's going to be tough for some of the guys. Um, So I'll take day over Fowler, even though uh, I'm rooting for Fowler. I I really do think he might have uh, things figured out a little bit. I hope so. It would be uh, very cool to see him have a kind of redemption story. And uh, the the travel, extensive travel is a bit of a worry. But he should be playing on some adrenaline uh, after that finish last week. I, I certainly don't think he's going to want to pack it in after that. So uh, I, I don't mind it. I've poo-pooed him for two years. I'm still not going to play him, but I'm not going to argue against anyone who wants to ride the wave. So Especially since there's not a lot in the seven K's that you feel like you have to have, like we've got Straka with the highest ownership 
I don't really love that. I, I think I'd rather go to a Munoz or a Henley um, or our boy Keith Mitchell, who I know we both like again. Like This is a Keith Mitchell course, if I've ever seen one. Just bomb it. See what happens. He's been great off the tee. He's going to make a bunch of birdies. I He's going to screw up a few holes, too. Like I, I, I'd be totally okay with Keith Mitchell finishing 50th and being, you know, 19th in fantasy scoring or something like that. Probably another guy, too, that's going to end up being optimal one day in showdown, just a matter of what day. Uh, and he's probably going to be a lineup killer one day in showdown. But, uh, yeah, I can go back to some Keith Mitchell this week as well. I'm not sure what else you've gone through here in the lower part of the 7Ks, but uh, that's kind of my takes. Yeah, you said, you know, we don't have to force anybody. But, yeah, give me all the Keith Mitchell this week for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, I'm looking at three different driving stats this week, off the tee, total driving, and driving distance. And there's only two golfers in the field that are top 10 in both all, all those categories in three different time spans. It is Keith Mitchell and it is John Rahm. So just one of the better di- drivers in, in the world. And you mentioned the birdie making, 7,200 is a great uh, price. And we used to always play him on Bermuda Greens, and these are Bermuda. So I, I love the spot for Mitchell. I like uh, Henley. Well, the model likes Henley. Not a bomber by any means, but he does. Uh, he is very good with the long irons, so I don't mind going to him at 7,300. I like Sebastian Munoz. And then maybe some Seamus Power. I don't know. I still haven't gotten him right, I don't think, so I'm just going to keep playing <laughs> him until he eventually gives me like a top 30. Then I'll be happy. We're going to play him every single week until that happens. Yep. And uh, in terms of guys that have played this event, Seamus was T19. Mitchell played and missed the cut. Um, Stallings played, missed the cut. Poston played, missed the cut. So I don't know. If a guy played and missed the cut, is that good or bad? I don't, you know, I put that in my article too that Mitchell played here and missed the cut, but I, at least it's some experience on a course that's a little bit unique. Um, I don't think it hurts, you know, especially since this this time is a no cut event. I, I, I land on the side of it helping because any data I think you have on a course that's kind of weird like this one, I think helps. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. And Mitchell missed on the number, which makes, for every reason, that just makes me feel a little bit better. That's interesting. I think he was like plus three. Was the cut plus two that year? Uh, well, he was he was 80th, so I just imagined that it was on the number. Yeah, no, I it could have been. I You know, uh, let me, again, there's so much volatility on the course. Uh, Garrick Higo won that tournament, by the way. Um, let's see. Unless I, yeah, the cut was plus two. Uh, and Hatton, or Hatton, not Hatton, he's tied second. Uh, Mitchell was plus three, so he missed by one. Um, which again, yeah, it's not like he shot plus 10. Let's see who was dead last. Uh, Smiley, Co- Smiley Kaufman <laughs> was still around. Uh, 21 over. Maybe your 40 stroke okay. difference is not a. You gotta gotta have one of these guys at the bottom uh, just completely implode. It might happen. Yeah, I mean, there's a few guys a thousand to one. So one of these guys could get me plus 25. <laughs> um, I am curious. What do we do? You mentioned power. We're gonna be on him until he does something. That's I'm kind of with you on that. <laughs> so what wait. is going on with Davis Riley? Uh, I don't know. I've never really been a Riley truther, so you know, I missed out on some of his good performances last uh, spring or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with him. 
Uh, he did withdraw that one week, so maybe he's got some kind of injury or something. We never really heard what it was for. Um, but back to Smiley. So he made the cut at plus two and then finished 21 over? Uh, no, I hang on. Uh, shoot, I got to get it back. That's only two rounds. Uh, he now was 21 over in two rounds. Yes. <laughs> now we're, now so we're now, in business. That's terrible. Um, I didn't put that together until just now. The the uh, worst guy that made the cut was plus eight, so nobody imploded totally on the weekend. But in two rounds, and that's another feather in the cap for this argument because all these guys are playing four rounds. Yeah. But yeah, we had like we had Smiley at plus twenty one, and but there was one hundred and fifty golfers or whatever, so not as many. But we had a plus sixteen, a couple plus fifteens. A couple plus fourteens, like you double that. That's twenties. You know, twenty eight, twenty nine. So now I'm curious. Um, over under, worst score in the field. I'm gonna set that boy that that's throwing me off. Those there was like ten, twelve guys that were double digits over par in two rounds. I mean, it over under worst score in the field. Now I'm going to set it at like plus 24 and a half based on these numbers. <laughs> so now the 40 is back in play. The 40 is back in play. If you think the winning score is going to be about 15. Let's check the wind real quick. It's looking uh, rather light on the wind. I don't know what it was last year. I don't either. And like you say, different time of year. I'm going to stick with that. 24 and a half. The book of STL cards is open over under. <laughs> Uh, worst score in the field plus twenty four and a half. I, I'm what kind of action will I get on that? Uh, I think most would hammer the under, but I don't know. Well, I, I think I, see, I think, I think that's where I want the action. I yeah. Look at these numbers: 10, 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14, 15, 15, 15, 16, and twenty one. Like all we need is Smiley to show up here, and my number's good. I, I think I'm inviting action on the under. Really, I'm fascinated by this and. Uh, <laughs> And I've gotten completely off course. We were talking about Davis Riley, and somehow it turned into that. Um, I don't even remember what brought that on. But carry on. Anybody you like better than Riley since you're not a Riley guy? Uh, I'll go back to Luke List, a guy that bombs it off the tee, a guy that good with his irons, and a guy that might lose 24 strokes putting um, over the course of four rounds. But, yeah, putting's been awful. But, uh, hey, top 30 last week, that was his best finish in a little while. Um, Chris Kirk seems like the safest option down here at 6,600. Gary Woodland's an interesting name. Uh, Brendan Still, I think he's the first group off as well on Thursday if you want like a long shot first round leader. I think that's about it for me. I did see some people talking about Harris English. You know, he's a big name that, uh, you know, has kind of been struggling, but maybe he gets it going. He did finish top 15 here last year. All right, I'll throw Trey Molinax into the ring, a guy who finished the summer season on fire. And so the first couple events of the fall swing, everyone was playing Trey Molinax, and he missed the cut in both of them. So now nobody's playing Trey Molinax again. Uh, Another guy that, I mean, he can hit it plenty long off the tee. Obviously the fall swing numbers, two events are bad. uh, But everyone wanted to play him a month ago, and now nobody wants to play him. So... At that price, if he can get hot at 6,600, I don't think it's crazy. We've got him at about 3% ownership. Uh, so he's probably my favorite in that range. Um, 
maybe throw Lee Hodges in that mix as well. I'm off of Troy Merritt. He's just fallen off a cliff the last couple months. I'll play Mullinax if I want somebody that's in a little bit more questionable form. But um, maybe a sprinkle of Alex Smalley or Kirk as well. But Mullinax, definitely my favorite uh, down in that punt range. All right, anything else for you before we get out of here? Mm, not much. I don't think you need to hammer the 6Ks too much, especially in your main lineups. But uh, Wyndham Clark, number one in the field, driving distance over the last 12 months. All right, if you want to go the complete YOLO bomber build, there you go. Throw Wyndham Clark in there. Throw Molinax in there and uh, and see what happens. So. That's going to wrap us up for this week. We've got the Bermuda Championship next week, uh, followed by Mayakoba, uh, followed by the Houston Open and the RSM, and that takes us to the winter break uh, around Thanksgiving time through uh, the end of the, the, the calendar year before the new year starts right back up in Hawaii in January. So we've got, uh, what was that, four more events, four more weeks uh, and, you know, some typical fall swing events there. Mayakoba, Hovland won that last year. Uh, RSM usually has a pretty good field for uh, for all the kind of big names that uh, reside or, or live in that area. So uh, should be four more fun weeks of golf, but this one right here is probably the strongest field you're going to see of those remaining events. So enjoy it. Good luck with all your lineups. Good luck uh, navigating all the sports that are going on right now. Basketball is back. We've got you covered. Rotogrinders.com, scoresandodds.com if you want the sports betting tips. Uh, whatever you need, we've got here for you. So thanks for watching. Be sure to hit that like button on your way out. Subscribe to the channel if you want to know when all our basketball videos, uh, betting videos, uh, football videos, whenever we go live uh, at Rotogrinders, uh, you can uh, get that notification if you subscribe to the channel. So for our producer, Devin, working hard behind the scenes for us for Noto. Thanks as always to him for joining me. I am Justin. Have a great week, everybody. And we will catch you back here next week. Same time, same place. Take care, everyone.